0: Welcome everybody. Good morning. Good to be with you today on this, uh, this uh, kind of chilly day here uh, in the last Sunday in March. Now, I want to encourage you to find your Christchurch notes if, you, uh, if you're here in Fairfax Station. They are between the entrance doors. When you come in, you can, you can get those now if you have not gotten them already. There is a pen or a pencil available for you there. If, for those of you who are at home, you already know what to do. You can print it off. You see the, the uh, button there for you to be able to get to the notes yourself. And you can fill that out and follow along with us. Again, we are in the famous last word Series that we have put together. Uh, the last seven statements of Jesus from the cross. I'm gonna start by simply reading God's word, and then we're going to we're gonna look at that and see how we can make sense of this statement that Jesus made while he was on the cross. One of the most troubling statements that he made. So let's take a look at this now, and we are going to begin with reading God's word. It starts with this: it's saying, it's from the Gospel of Matthew, by the way, 27. At noon. So at 12 noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli Eli, lama Shabbatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. This is God's word for us. And we're going to do some study of God's word today. Let me start out by saying and telling you this, last Tuesday was just simply not a good day for me. I did not have a good day last Tuesday. Last Tuesday is the day that I'll begin preparing the Sunday sermon, the Sunday message, Sunday's teaching. I begin Tuesday afternoon and then work on it all day on Wednesday. Well, usually when I... Start. I, I, of course, I open the scripture and I read the scripture and I try to get familiar with what I want to do. And generally, the inspiration begins to flow pretty quick. The words, I know what I'm going to do, I know where I need to go with this, I, I just sense the Holy Spirit's presence and moving in this particular direction or being able to teach it in this way. Tuesday was not a day like that. In fact, I Just couldn't get comfortable. It was really strange. I was was fidgety. I I couldn't settle in on the scripture. I, I couldn't get comfortable with what I was reading. You know, when you come across something like that, when Jesus is calling out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what in the world is that all about? God, uh, Jesus is the is the uh, the, the the one of the, the the second person of the Trinity, the Holy Trinity: God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. What are we talking about here? That God has forsaken him? It was was he just was he just making a statement saying, "I feel as if"? You are forsaking me, God, because I'm hanging here on the cross. Is that all that that was? Even though it's a big deal. Is that all that it was? Well, I'm not so sure that that's the case. I think he's literally speaking about the abandonment of God on the cross. You know, and when you get to these, these, these words that he called out, they're really painful ones. They're they're disturbing, frankly. They are hideous words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, that word forsaken, just think about that for a moment. Is there anything more that sounds more dark and more empty than that word forsaken? In, in, in doing my best at trying to find something redeeming about that statement, I went to look up the word forsaken to see if there, gosh, maybe there's something that I've missed. And this is what I found right here. It means to quit, to desert, to abandon, to, look at that, to depart, to withdraw to leave, to to renounce. This is painful. To reject. <laughs> to refuse. There's nothing redeeming in those words, in that definition, in any way, shape, or form. I, 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 I frankly, I wish I hadn't even bothered to look it up. But that's what this means. I mean, so i got to ask you, have you ever felt that way? I mean, look, look at those words up there. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt abandoned or deserted? Have you ever felt rejected? E. Very transparently and openly and candidly, I have. I have felt like that at one particular time in my life specifically. It was a time that I really felt like I was fighting to stay alive. I was fighting to stay alive. It was the darkest, most lonely most painful time in my entire life. As I was thinking about it this week, I was trying to come up with an analogy as to really what I was feeling, and the best thing I could come up with is that I felt like I was out in the middle of the ocean, far away from anybody I was bobbing up and down, I was gasping for air, I was tired, I was worn out, I was splashing about, I was trying and fighting to stay alive as best as I could. I didn't want to drown, but I didn't even have the energy to call out for help. That's the way I felt. And I'd also convinced myself that because I was out in the middle of this ocean, if I were to call out for help, there would be nobody that was gonna hear me anyway. So I was, I was there drowning and, and, and grabbing a hold of any little piece of straw that may have floated by. That's the way I felt. And I was thinking, God, where are you? God, help me. And what made that time in my life even more painful was that there were those that I believed were my best, most trusted friends. walked away from me there were those that I thought would never leave my side but they were bad-mouthing me and criticizing me for being in the ocean to begin with all I needed was a compassionate hand that never came I know what it feels like to be forsaken, abandoned, deserted, rejected. I ask you again, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt that way? You know, over the last 39 years that I have been in pastoral ministry, I can tell you that I have spoken to hundreds of people who have felt that way. Maybe it's because they felt abandoned by one of their children, rejected, pushed away. For some and others they have felt abandoned and rejected and deserted by a spouse. There've been others who have felt that way because they have been feeling abandoned and deserted and rejected by their very best friends. Have have you ever felt like that that dark hour of the soul, I can tell you that it is painful. Utterly painful. Let's look at the Scripture again. The one we just looked at. Matthew 27. At noon, 12 noon, middle of the day, darkness fell across the whole land. Have you ever felt if you've ever felt abandoned and deserted and rejected, it feels dark, doesn't it? At at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock, three hours, darkness. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatini, which means... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, when you look at that scripture, did did you notice how Jesus said these words? Did you notice how he said them? He didn't whisper them, right? What did he do? He called out in a loud voice, yeah. What does that mean? It means he yelled it. He shouted it. He didn't care who heard him. This was the way he was feeling. He called out, in effect, God, I feel so utterly alone. You can imagine what must have been going through his mind hanging there on that cross. Besides all the physical pain, he was thinking certainly all of the people who had at once praised him and followed him were now deserting him. All his friends had left him. The soldiers were just down below near his feet. They were gambling away for his his, the only thing that he owned left on earth was his clothing. They mocked him. They cheered on his pain. They spit their hatred at him. And then he's saying, even you, God, my heavenly father, even you, even you've abandoned me. And you know, every last one of us, I think, at some point in our life, for one reason or another, is going to feel something like that. It's going to feel like we are utterly, completely alone. And we'll ask that question, have you abandoned me to God? God. It comes in the darkest hour of the soul. And if you've ever been there, you know exactly what it is that I mean. Everything seems lost. You feel utterly alone. You feel paralyzed. You feel unable to do anything. And even if you're able to put some thoughts together, you're thinking, where are you, God? Why have you left me? You know, the best way that I can put that together is, is a story that I heard some time ago. If you remember, does anybody remember when cars had bench seats? I mean, the seat that went all the way from the driver's side to the passenger side? Bench seats. All right, there was a time when cars had bench seats. And the story goes something like this. There was a, there was a couple who had been married for more than 20 years. Uh, the, the man in the relationship was driving. The woman was seated, seated by the passenger door. And they were driving down the road. It was one Friday night, and they pull up behind another car. And in that car was a a young couple. A couple, you could just tell, they were they were on a date. And she wasn't all the way over by the passenger door. She was right up against the driver. And arm around, he had his arm around her, and they would steal a kiss every now and again as the, as the light was red. And then the car behind, with a couple that had been married over 20 years, she speaks up and says, isn't that cute? Do you remember when we were like that? In fact, Why aren't we like that anymore? We never sit that way anymore. And the husband turned to his wife and said, well, I haven't moved. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. When you are feeling utterly alone, abandoned by God, who do you think is it that moved? You see, listen to me for a moment here. I want to put this together. You see, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm sane and rational and can actually think, I really do get the, I understand how we can feel abandoned by God. You know, uh, the, the fact is that most of the time the things that cause us to feel abandoned and deserted by God come as a result of our own behavior. It's our own sinful behavior that makes us feel, that puts that separation between us and God. It makes us feel as if God has moved. But in reality, God has never moved. It is us who's moved away from him. And because it's our own sinful behavior for most of the time, but that's not 100% of the reason because there are those that are around you, who are close to you, whose behavior that you haven't participated in, but because they're connected with your life, their sinful behavior actually bleeds over onto you and directly affects your life to where their sinful behavior can cause you to feel as if God has moved. That you are lost and abandoned and been deserted by God himself. That you have been rejected. Our own sinful behavior causes our relationships to fracture. And even when we are not at fault, the sinful behavior of others directly affects the way we feel deserted and rejected and abandoned and forsaken. You know, I get that. I understand that, but my question to you is this, what about Jesus? Did he do something that caused God to abandon him? I understand that, that my sinful behavior can cause me to feel as if God has moved, even though I'm the one who moved. I can understand that, that, the, that those who are close to me, that their sinful behavior can cause me to feel as if I've been abandoned or as if God has moved even though I'm, not the, I'm the one who moved not God. What about Jesus? Did he move away from God? How is it that he could feel that God had abandoned him? Now. I I get the fact, too, that we're on holy ground when we're asking these kinds of questions, but knowing why is so critically important for us to be able to understand that we've got to be able to ask these kinds of questions. And so I'm going to give you the reason. I'm going to give you the reason why he felt abandoned by God. I'm going to do it right now. This is the very first time in Jesus' life where Jesus was totally, completely, and utterly separated from God himself, his Father. God really, genuinely, seriously, and actually abandoned Jesus there on that cross that day. God forsook Jesus on the cross then. Now... Jesus certainly did know what it was like to, be, to, to feel uh, abandoned and deserted by the people around him. I mean, just look at this. Israel, the nation, had abandoned him. John 1.11 says he came to his own people and what? Even they abandoned him. Then his family abandoned him. John 7, 5, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. His friends abandoned him. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. We see that. But Jesus knew the herd of rejection. But the question is, why did God abandon him? Why did God abandon Jesus on the cross? Listen carefully we got to get this. In fact, I'm going to say it this way. If you don't get anything that I say today, this is the most important thing. If you forget every single solitary thing I've ever said, don't forget this. The reason why Jesus was abandoned on the cross, the reason why God abandoned Jesus on the cross, forsook Jesus on the cross, is because he was on that cross, dying, dying for us, Our sin, yours and mine, dying in your place and in my place as your substitute and my substitute. He was dying for your sin and mine in our place when we deserve to be there, not him. In fact, I'll make it very clear. There's one scripture out of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah, it's 53, that says it this way. Look at the first three words. Let's say the first three words together, ready? All of us, louder, all of us, there we go. All of us, that's all of us, like sheep have gone astray. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord, look at these next three words, ready? Laid on him, what? The sins of who? of us all, all of our sinfulness. What does that mean? That means the full force, the full weight of our sinfulness laid squarely on the shoulders of Jesus on the cross, all of our collected sin, and the full force of God's judgment was on Jesus, on his back. While hanging on the cross, the full weight of our sin, the full force of God's judgment was on Jesus that day. In effect, That meant that God was piling on his son on the cross sin after sin, lie after lie, murder after murder, adultery after adultery. Every sinful thought, every sinful word, every sinful deed from the past, the present, the future was all scooped up and dumped on him. And because God is holy, God is righteous, God is pure, God cannot abide to to be in the presence of sinfulness. That's when Jesus had all of our sin upon him on the cross. Right then, right there for the very first and only time God completely, completely abandoned Jesus there because it was the only thing, the only way he could get us to eternal life. You can see what sin does. In fact, when Jesus is hanging there, you can see what sin does. Sin sin desecrates. You can put it on the screen. Put it up there. Sin desecrates. It desecrates. Matter of fact, Philippians 2.8 says he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a, what kind of a death? A criminal's death. Where was he? He was in the center between two criminals hanging on crosses. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Sin desecrates. What else does it do? Sin uh, separates. It separates. Matter of fact, Isaiah 59, 2 says this, but your iniquity, what's the word iniquity mean? It means sin. It means sin. But your sins have made a what? Say it word separation between you and God. That's what sin does. Sin desecrates. Sin separates. What happened to Jesus when he was on the cross? He, God was separated from him for the first and only time in his life because of what sin does. It desecrates. It separates. What else does it do? It isolates. It isolates us. Cuts us off. In fact, Isaiah 59 2 from the New Living Translation says, it It's your sins that have what? Cut you off from God. It's your sins that have, let's say it together, cut you off from God. That's what our sin does. Desecrates, separates, and isolates. That's what's happening with our sinfulness and happening to Jesus on the cross. And to put it like this, If you really want to know why Jesus was forsaken, why he was abandoned, why he was rejected, why he was left by his heavenly father, I hate saying it this way because it is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to me. But if you really want to know why, all we got to do is look in the mirror. That's why God abandoned him. That's why God forsook him. That's why God rejected him when he was on the cross because of the person in the mirror. But here's the good news, and we got to get some good news, and we need that good news right this minute. And here's the good news. Jesus was, a, Jesus was abandoned so that we may never be abandoned by God. That's why we can say that Jesus said, and we can say it clearly, I will never leave you or, what's the other word? Or forsake you. That's the good news. That's why God, he was abandoned by God so that we may never be abandoned by God. He was abandoned for one moment by God, so that we may never be abandoned for any moment from God. To put it theologically, Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians, he said, Christ had no sin, but God made him, what are these next two words? Become sin. Why? So that in Christ, we could become, what's this next word? Right. Look at that. He became sin so that we could become right. Jesus became sin so that we could be made whole. Jesus became sin so that we could become righteous, that we could have a relationship, that we could have a relationship, be made right with God. That is the good news. Jesus died for your sin so that you may not die in your sin. Instead, you can die to your sin. You see, because of that, we can say these words. My God, my God, thank you for not forsaking me. My God, my God, thank you for not forsaking me. Let's do it. My God, my God, thank you for not forsaking me. One more time. My God, my God, thank you for not forsaking me. He died so you can live forever. That is why God abandoned Jesus for that moment on the cross so he could take your sin and give you life. Thank you, God, for not abandoning me. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come together, Lord, as blessed people. We are amazingly blessed because you are God who had been willing to take the punishment for us, that you were willing to be abandoned by your heavenly Father and take the full weight of our sin and the full force of God's judgment upon yourself so that that we may never die, that we simply would transfer from one life to the next, that our earthly death is not our final death that we go from death to life because you were willing to be abandoned by your Father and then embraced again in resurrection. Lord, the fact of the matter is we don't deserve what we have received. You were abandoned because you took our sin. You died As our substitute, you died in our place so that we may live. And we pray right now for those who have yet to experience that relationship, for those who have not yet opened his or her heart to you. I pray, Lord, that today may be that very day when they say something like, Lord, I am not sure that I understand it all. But I want to say thank you for taking my sin with you. I, I want to trust you for eternal life. I trust you for life after this life. So take my sin away. And bring me into a relationship with you where not only are you my Savior, but you are my Lord. Thank you so much, God. You have been so incredibly good to us. We don't deserve any of it, and yet all of this salvation is ours through what you've done for us. So bless us, Lord, that we may love you and love others and live out the gospel life together. And we pray all this in the holy and precious and matchless name of Jesus. And now all God's people say, amen.